I think the message is, is the one that I've learned, which is self-love, you know, mm -hmm. learn to love yourself first, you know, just, uh, it's, I know it's not easy, um, but it's, that's, a, that's the starting point, you know, once you start to learn to love yourself more, it, you, suddenly you'll find that you've got a lot more faith in yourself and your abilities in the world and, and you're able to give love back to others, you know, so, so, yeah. so yes, yeah, self-love. I so, think that's, that's what, what they gave me because I hadn't, I'd got none of that before, you know, I was just like really beating myself up <laughs> far yeah. too badly, beating you know, because I, I was struggling in the world. You know, you know the thing about self-love is because we are love, all we have to do is stop criticizing ourselves and we'll love ourselves more. It's like, exactly. it's not, we don't even have to actively like, I love me, I love me, I love me. We just have to stop the criticism, you know, the stop. You got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? If you feel like that's what you want to do. Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. So great to be back. As you know, I've taken a few weeks hiatus from the show up here in the beautiful northern New South Wales, enjoying the sun in winter, <laughs> Australia. It's been so beautiful. But I have another fascinating man to introduce you to today. His name is David Ditchfield. Welcome to the show, David. Hi, Karen. Thank you very much. Great to be here. David's all the way over in the UK. Well, for me, it's a long way. For people watching this that are in the UK or listening to this in the UK, it's not so far for you guys. But for people in the States, it's a bit of a plane trip. So it's night here in Australia and morning in the UK. But it's on the same it's day. It's morning. It's morning. And, and it's, we're the opposite way around. We're, we're in summer, but it's, it feels like winter because it's raining. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Maybe nothing That's in the UK it. for you. <laughs> Nothing unusual for the UK. Okay, so David has an extraordinary, extraordinary story to share with us today. And I'm going to quiz him as usual, but I'm just going to read out his bio. Have a listen to this. David Ditchfield is an artist, composer, near-death experiencer and author who wants to use his NDE to make a positive difference to people's lives. David had a freak accident a few years back in which he slipped between the train and the tracks and was dragged under a speeding train for quite some time. As the surgeons fought to save his life, he had a profound near-death experience and journeyed to what he believes is the afterlife. When he woke from this experience in hospital, he found he had acquired astounding new abilities, which to this day, he still cannot explain. The first was enhanced ability to paint. After his NDE, David felt compelled to produce dramatic and rich images of things that he saw in the afterlife, painting, painting so vivid and real that it was as if he had taken an HD camera with him uh, to visually capture what most NDEs can only describe using words, which we'll have a look at some of the painting. Then, even more surprisingly, he started writing classical music, composing full-scale symphonies and rhapsodies. 
This newfound gift was all the more astounding as David, a former punk rock pop guitarist, <laughs> has never received any training in classical music and never composed uh, music like this before he had his NDE. In fact, to this day, he cannot read or write a single note of musical notation. So you just played, picked up the guitar and played it by ear, right? When you were doing yes, the punk rock that's thing. that's right, yeah, 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 I was self-taught. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, amazing. We'll get into this. So you debuted uh, the symphony called The Divine Light, which expresses sure. what you felt during your NDE. The symphony was premiered at a sellout concert and received yeah. a standing ovation from the audience. That's, I know, mad, isn't it? It's crazy. Um, it's, it's, it's incredible, but... Um, the, yeah, it sold out two weeks in advance, which, which was kind of like a first um, for, for this orchestra. So I, I was really excited. Yeah, especially. <laughs> it's, a, it's almost a, like, sorry. Well, especially an, an, a not known composer. Yeah, I know. And that, I think at that point I knew that I was getting help from somewhere else. I was, you know, it was almost like that piece of music was meant to get out, out there totally. to a lot of people. And, uh, and I, I, I felt that vibration, as it were, as, as the momentum was picking up. I mean, it started because um, they, they, the, the orchestra said to me, look, you know, we normally like to do something in the local press. Are you okay if, to talk to them? I said, yeah, of course, you know. So I spoke to one local paper and they were just so blown away with the story that other local papers started picking up on it. Then it started to roll, roll not roller coaster, but it started to roll over in, into like... Um, you know, BBC TV wanted to interview me and do a piece. And I think that's what really got people interested, you know. And, yeah. and then it went international press, you know. So it, it really just kind of like, I was just thinking all the way along, wow, yes. Yeah, I've it's like got you're my just, guys behind me. They want to get this out there. So that was it. The momentum. It's like you're in a boat just floating downstream and the current's taking you where you need to go, right? It's just like... Well put, yes. <laughs> How many years ago was that? That well, that was in, in 2008. Yeah, 2008. 2008. Right, okay. Okay, so since then you've composed and have been commissioned to compose further classical works, which have also premiered to sell out performances and have yeah. and has completed more than 30 paintings and a number of commissioned artworks. David's NDE memoir, it's coming, it's coming, Shine On, it's called, will be released <laughs> next year, 2020, in the spring of 2020, your spring, my autumn. Uh, and Dr. Raymond Moody, Jr., best-selling author of Life After Death, describes that he's obviously had a bit of a read of it as one of the most profound, gripping accounts of a near-death experience that I have read, he says. And I say that having interviewed since 1965 thousands of people who describe such experiences. Now, that's a bit of a plug for the book, I've got to say. Oh, that's incredible. You know, we could never have dreamt it, um, you know. It's, um, uh, you know, a year ago, just, just uh, the actual hope and chance of uh, maybe just kind of, you know, meeting Raymond Moody one day would have been fantastic, you know, along the way. But, um, yeah, so to have him actually pick up the book and read it and just be so, you know, he was just really blown away by it. And so, it, you know, his manager contacted us and said, Raymond's really enjoying the book. And we went, wow. So, so yeah, so... He's offered to write a forward for us, which is brilliant, you know. And uh, you know, we're very proud. We're very proud, and we're very honoured. So, so that's that's great. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get into the drama of the 
the thing because it was quite you were just stepping like off the platform into the you you describe what happened yeah i'll tell you yeah i'll tell you what happened yeah fine i was seeing a friend of mine off at the railway station uh, she was returning to london and i was just helped her with her bags onto the, onto the carriage and then gave her a hug and a kiss goodbye and then I, as i stepped off uh, i was wearing a, a coat that got caught in the doors because it was it was like sort of winter time then it was freezing cold day and, and my coat got trapped and i couldn't release it it was like the, you know, and i was tugging away at this coat it was right down at the bottom of the end of it and uh, i thought this is not going to come loose and i could hear the alarms going off i could hear you know i thought this train's the engines were revving i thought it's going to get moving soon you know so i tried everything i tried banging on the on the glass and i, I tried shouting out for help but there was no guard around at that point you know and, and then also you know the buttons open and close they didn't work nothing happened so the train started to pull off and i thought okay <laughs> I'm going to have to go with this. There's no way I'm going to be able to re release it. And um, it's picked up a lot of pace. And then I knew I was going to lose my footing eventually, uh, which I did. And, uh, and I got pulled under in between the space of the platform and the actual train as it was going at high speed. And uh, obviously at that point, I just thought, this is it. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to die. I couldn't imagine that I would have survived it. And uh, it's interesting because... Um, when I look back at it, at the time, it felt like it took minutes for the whole thing to happen. I actually felt in my mind that I, I could rationalize what was going on. You know, I was thinking, right, uh, this odd thought came into my head, was, which was to totally relax. Because I I'd, I'd remember I'd seen this article in the papers about a week before about uh, a young baby being thrown from a third floor apartment block that was on fire. And it survived without any injuries because they said that babies are so relaxed that unlike us as adults, we tense up, you know. So that's, that's what I did. I, I relaxed. And um, anyhow, I got, I, I got pulled under, and then that was pretty nightmarish, obviously, <laughs> to say the least. You know, to go in, in there, it was like being thrown into a, a washing machine at, at full rinse, you know. And it was just, and it was, but it was very dark and sort of, you know, I remember all the still, now the, the smell of all the oil and everything, and just the sound of the wheels screeching against the metal and it was just it was it was hell you know and and it was interesting because i i again i got this rational thought going on of survival basically a survival thought and i just thought to myself i remember the, the hearing like this rip you know as i went down and then i was as i got tossed around underneath the train i was lying there and the train was still going above my head and i thought right just lie down i thought of indiana jones and and uh 007 films you know and i just thought think of that lie down flat like like he did you know right. that's what i did i just laid down because i thought some undercarriage could just come and whack me and that would be it but it didn't do um yeah so uh the train rolled on eventually and i just that was a most you know profound moment was um going from all that darkness and all that noise and hell uh, to like this kind of like going into silence and then then just daylight suddenly reappearing again and uh i just kind of like tried to roll over and i looked up and saw this beautiful blue sky and that feeling of of surviving that was just like really uh, tremendous you know and it was like just seeing that blue sky was made me feel really like wow isn't nature beautiful <laughs> because it was just it was great to be alive obviously at that point yeah 
Um, yeah. Okay. So okay. So um, so you're obviously in a like a platform inside, like an underground. You, you were you outside? No, 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 it was an overground. Yeah, it was an overground station. Oh, it was an so, overground. Station. Yeah. So I was lay on the track, and the platforms, you know, probably about sort of you know four or five foot high, I guess, you know. Um, and and so, the train took you and dragged you, and then it obviously what did what happened? Did it did you did it rip? Like how did you get out from under the train? How did your body get out from under the train? Well, I, I, it's all I as I, all I remember is as I say is hearing this this rip, which I reckon was it, it was it could have been either been my coat or, or it might have been my arm. My, my left arm got severed, but. Um, then it was just, as I say, it was just being tossed around and just thrown all over the place like a rag doll, basically. You know? And and then I was obviously thrown into a place that was safe as as the train kept rolling and uh, above me. Um, so I, I don't know if I'm going to explain it very well, but uh, that's that's pretty much where I was. You know, I I, I was just thrown into a into, into a safe place underneath the train. So when you woke up and saw the daylight, were yeah. you still on Earth? Like were you still in your body? Oh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't actually black out. By the way, I was conscious throughout the whole thing. So, um, so it's just, yeah, I knew I was still on Earth. Yeah, I, I didn't actually have uh, my near death experience until later, when oh. I arrived in uh, uh, in the hospital. Hospital. Yeah. So, right. I, I, you know, the paramedics came and got me off the track pretty quick. Actually, they were there because they, uh, they were they were nearby. So they came and, and uh, took me. I mean, it was quite a funny thing. I remember at the time, I, I just bought myself these new Armani jeans that day. I remember the paramedics coming up saying, we're going to have to cut these open, sir. I was going, no, 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 my legs are fine. You know, I thought, don't cut these. <laughs> it's that funny thing, isn't it, of shock, where you just kind of feel like, you know, no, don't, don't do that. You know? <laughs> but of course they did. And um, <laughs> so they, they, you know, they got me in an ambulance and... and Sped me down the the, the the motorway and got me in, into A and E, um, and yeah, I was we was I was in there and I was as I say I was losing a lot of blood because my my left arm had been severed. Um, and so at that point they pulled my family in. Uh, when my family arrived, so they felt like they got there really quick, you know, even though they had a, a way to come. And I remember the consultants and the doctors were all running around and they're obviously clearly trying to save me at that point. You can, all, you can hear all those voices of urgency. And um, uh, I, remember, I remember my sister saying to me afterwards, she said that it's just like there was, there was a lot of blood. So it was this, um, I think at that point, I realized, you know, I, I, that that was a stage when I when I was going to go into my near death experience because of losing that amount of blood because I think right. I was very close to death at that point, you know. So um, you know when you are, this is just my curious mind. I really don't need all these details, but when sorry. you were thinking, you know, oh, I should relax and I should do like all that logical thinking while it, all the drama was happening. Were you in any pain or was there just no pain at that point? Yeah, I was in. I was in agony. I was in agony. Oh, okay. So you felt yeah, yeah, a lot yeah, of pain. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was, okay. I was, I was absolute pain, and and mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, I remember you know the the uh, the consultant who was who was going on to be my my one to one consultant, who was a fantastic guy. He said to me, "Look, your family are here. Do, would you like to see any of them?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "How many can you handle?" I said, "Just send them all through." And I was just yeah. so they came in, and uh, you know, I remember them coming up and chatting to me and seeing me and seeing the look on my mother's face. I'll never forget. Was, was, was just awful you know obviously to see her son in the state 
And um, in all fairness, you know, a few, um, a few of them actually thought that I'd, um, I hadn't survived it, um, right. especially my friend Anna, who I'd been seeing off because she'd had to watch it through the window of, of the carriage, you know, and I she know. just saw me. I um, was thinking uh, about her thinking, poor, well, I didn't know her name, but the person that you were seeing off. All right, so so you get to the hospital and you go and you obviously go in for an operation. Did you leave your body during the operation? Yeah, well, I was I was still in the in the emergency department and um, I was concerned about Anna and uh, I needed to speak to her. So I said, can, "Can can I speak to her?" And so she came over, and it was at the point she came over and spoke to me that I I, I left my body and, and went into my near death experience. Wow. So yeah. so basically, to her, you've just kind of gone and then like blacked out and like left your body well yeah I, I mean i remember speaking to her and, and saying are you okay are you all right and then i remember just shaking your head in disbelief you know that i was alive you know because, you were uh, asking her if she was okay yeah well i was concerned for it because i knew what i knew she must have been through an absolute awful absolutely. thing you know yeah and uh, absolutely and she told me afterwards that she she thought that i she watched me go under you know she ran to the window and interestingly enough, going back to me saying how I relaxed, she said, it was really odd, but you just kind of seemed to roll under with such grace. <laughs> she said, do you mind me saying that? I said, no, because you're banging on the money, you know. So, um, yeah. And um, so she told me that she'd, um, as, as train, she was running around frantically trying to find a, a, a guard to stop the, the train, which she, eventually she did. And they stopped in the middle of the country, in the middle of nowhere. And... Um, Believing that I was dead, she, she turned around to the carriage and, uh, and said, would everybody mind if we said a prayer? And they said, yeah. And then this lady stepped forward who said, look, I'm a Christian. Would you like me to take the prayers for you? She said, yeah. So she said all these commuters who had been sat there with their laptops and newspapers suddenly just put them all down and, and went into prayers for me. And I really believe in the power of prayer now because I felt those prayers. Yeah, I really did. I and, feel and, just hearing you talk about it. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's I'm a firm believer in prayer. So anybody who's going through hard times now, I, I, I really put a lot into praying myself, you know, so, and getting others to join in if they can. But um, so anyway, so I, it was that back to Anna. So yeah, so I'm chatting away to her, checking she's okay. And then I just um, went from all that pain and agony and all that noise it was like the noise was on overload that and to a really calm place it, it was um I, at first i thought i was in in a in kind of like a darkened room you know and i felt like in a comfortable room i was like dark it just felt like a really comfortable space and i remember seeing these colors pulsating around me like ambers and oranges and golds and yellows and greens and uh i thought oh this is right really a lovely calm place I'll, I'm, and uh, I um, looked up at my feet and I could see this being this uh, like an androgynous being neither male or female stood at my feet just stood there kind of like calmly smiling at me and uh, I just thought who is this who is this being but I, I part of me just felt like I'd known uh, him or her for since the beginning of the time and beyond maybe you know I knew yeah. I was and I felt very comforted. I felt very comforted. And I believed right at that point that um, I'd passed on, that this was the next stage after right. life. And I thought, well, 
this is where we go. So this is it. So this is where we end up. And I thought, well, I'm quite happy with this. This is good, you know. And um, the next thing I, I realized was um, there were two other beings either side of me. And um, they had, the, they were kind of female form, I would say. And they, well, they were. And they both had their hands kind of like sort of gently going over my body. Uh, healing me almost like it's similar to sort of Reiki healing sort of right. process I guess mm -hmm. I described it to and um, yeah and I just felt this vibration of love coming from uh, all three of these beings mm -hmm. and it was like and I say a vibration of love because I felt it was like almost pulsating through my physical being you know it's just a, a beautiful I, I, thing I just had a question which I asked my mob and they just answered because it's interesting when people say, you know, they were healing my body. Because obviously you're not in your body. You're in your astral body. You're in another body. You're in a, some people call it spiritual body, astral body. And, and so these beings were putting their hands over your astral body, right? Not your physical body. So I just said, but they weren't touching his physical body. They were touching his astral body. And they said to me, oh, well, your astral body is the replication of your physical body and it actually healing manifests first in the astral before it manifests in the physical and i just ah. went oh interesting okay <laughs> okay well that's that makes a lot of sense to me see because yeah. um because i remember lifting my head at that point and looking down to see how bad my body looked and uh, everything was healed there was my, my left arm was was okay and it wasn't you know badly scarred or anything you know and, uh, and the, the most interesting thing was that I remember seeing that I was as I looked down on my body that I was covered in this 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 lovely cloth it was like a sort of a blue sort of satin sort of silky sort of cloth which was so comfortable it was kind of like really cooling on me but it kept me warm at the same time so so yeah um, so what you just said there that makes an awful lot of sense well, it's interesting because often people, when they talk about NDEs, you know, they leave their, you know, smashed up body, car accidents and all sorts of things, and they're in their astral form, but they're perfectly fine. You know, they're not expecting to see a broken body. They kind of expect to just be normal. You know, they still yeah. expect to be their body body, um, which I find interesting because, you know, when we exit the matrix, exit stage left, uh, we don't necessarily have to retain this form, if you like. Sure. And and that's something I wanted to ask you about the beings. You described them as beings, especially the first one you saw. Mm. So if you were to describe it visually, what were you looking at when you said it looked androgynous? Did it look like a human being? Did it look like a oh, light yeah. So, being? Yeah. Yeah. Did it looked it, like or, a human being. Right. Um, and, yeah. Uh, and to the point that it was... A, it was wearing like a dark shirt, almost like a, a dark T-shirt, you know. So yeah. it was, it wasn't kind of wearing some kind of like robe or anything like that, or anything that was that right. was not sort of familiar to me. It was, it was almost like quite, quite sort of, you know, day to day sort of looking. But that, well, no, but the being itself was not day to day looking. It was quite special. It was quite, there was something unusual about it, even though it was of human form. It it kind of wasn't, you know. It, I knew that this was a special being that was still on my, on my feet. I knew straight away that, it, that it, it was there to care for me, you know, right. and, um, and watch over me. Did it feel me. angelic? 
did it for you? Oh yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. It felt angelic, you know, without the wings. There, was, there were no wings yeah. in place, <laughs> but so um, it felt did, totally did, angelic. Did this like. being introduce itself to you and say, "Hello, I am, and I'm here to like help you," blah blah blah? Do you know what? It it, it didn't. I, there was no conversation uh, actually going on between us, but it was all very much mental. I was like picking up an awful lot just from that being, just from its face expressions. When I say that, that the being was smiling, that it wasn't actually physically smiling, but it was just kind of like, you know, when somebody's smiling with their eyes, where they, you can tell that they're thinking happy thoughts inside. That's what it was. And, uh, and, and there was this familiarity. I just thought, you know, it's like, where do I know you from? I know you, you know, you, sometimes you bump into somebody at a party and you start chatting to a complete stranger and you feel like you've known that person for a long, long time, and you connect straight away, and they say it back to you. It, it, it was like that, and you know, it was, it was, it, and but the, uh, the love that I felt on, was it you? Yeah, the the love that I felt that was coming from from this being was um, was all the kind of feelings of love that you have, um, you know, say from from your parents, from your lover, from your your pet animal or what have you they're all it was all encompassed into one and it was so powerful this love that i just thought wow this is the most intense form of love um that, that i've ever had in my life and it was just wonderful you know i just felt bathed in it you know it was it was it was wonderful you know? do, do you can you um recreate that sensation now that you're back in your body ah interesting um I've, I've, the closest I've come to it is, is, um, is I came across uh, spiritual healing uh, after my accident um, uh, because I was in search of some, some not some answers, but of other people, you know, on, back on, on earth, as it were, who, who I could talk to and share what had happened with me uh, openly without people going, oh, okay, <laughs> you know. And so um, I'd stumbled across this uh, spiritualist church which I'd been to actually uh, some time before my accident. So I, I, I was living in London and I came up to visit my sister who lives in the same town where I had the accident. And um, I was on the train and I met these people who were going, they said they were going out to see a medium. And at that point, I'd never really known much about mediumship or anything, you know. And uh, they said, would you like to come along? I said, yeah, sure, I'll come. So I went just to find out, curiosity as it were. And I, I was sat there, and it was actually taking place in the spiritual church that I discovered later. And uh, there was a medium, she was brilliant. She was just like pacing backwards and forwards, and she was talking to her guides, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and she was going, yeah, 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 I, yeah, I get that. Because it was like this, you know, very animated. And she was like getting a lot of people and talking about connecting with their, their lost family members, grandparents and stuff like that, and, and stuff, association. And, and what have you, and saying your grandfather's with you and making them feel comforted, you know. And um, I'd, I'd not gone there looking for a message from, from uh, anyone, but she suddenly turned around at one point and she said, um, gentleman in the blue sweater, she said, um, your, your life's about to change. And I went, oh, right. And I said, in what way? And she said, they're not telling me. They're just saying your life is about to change. You know, and it's, just be ready for it because it's going to be big. And I thought, great. And I thought, I thought it was just going to be like, you know, I'm going to have this kind of like, whole new career or my relationship's going to take off you know and stuff and but it, it wasn't it was i'm looking back on it now that she obviously the guides could um preempt what was about to happen to me that i was going to have this life-changing 
accident um, and near-death experience. Oh, right. She said that before you had your accident. Yeah, right. yeah. It was, okay. yeah. No, yeah, no wonder she didn't give the details. Oh, you're about to be thrown under a chain, die. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, they weren't oh, given yeah. her that. She had no idea. No, but, yeah. So. No All right, so let's get back to the healing. So you're in your astral body. You've got two beings either side, and, and you're on what is like a, um, like a table, like a hospital table, are you, with a blue um, silk sort of sheet over you. And they're putting... Yeah, well, yeah their energy Sorry. through your body right and then your body's your astral body is healing is that what is that what happened yeah 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 you're absolutely right there sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you i just uh, i the what i meant to say earlier was was that yeah i wasn't actually on a hospital table as it well i was what was odd was i was lying on this like huge kind of rock it was almost like a big it was like slate it was like lying on a big oh, piece of slate right and again that was odd because um i felt very comfortable on lying on that you know you wouldn't you wouldn't want to lie on a piece of slate <laughs> normally would you you know and uh, but it just felt really comforting and so um yeah so that's where i was at that point so carry on sorry i thought that would be oh well you carry on please you know tell us more of the story and what happens next so you're lying on yeah so so i'm lying i'm lying there and i'm lying on this big piece of slate and, and i just kind of put my head back again and just enjoyed the the all this healing and and power and, and love that was just um coming through me um mm. and uh then i suddenly felt the sensation uh coming towards me and i thought and it was it was almost like the energy was, was starting to increase by tenfold and i again i kind of lifted my head slightly i looked ahead of my feet and i saw um what I describe as, as this kind of like ton of white pure light and that was like kind of swirling man there was like there was like almost like flames of fire like sort of yellows and reds uh, and, and whites all just kind of slowly sort of rotating around this pure white light um, and this white light was just uh, the energy coming from that light was just so uh, powerful and overwhelming and seemed to be getting closer to me or I was getting closer to it and uh, I just felt absolutely like this definitely is I've definitely passed on and I, and, I, and I looked at that light and I just thought to myself this is this is the energy of life itself of creation all these thoughts were going on I wasn't being told this it was like I was getting all these uh, equations and I just thought this is God you know this is not this um guy with a beard up in the sky you know like in the michelangelo paintings this is the power and the energy of god and um so i felt very privileged and i felt very very excited about it <laughs> yeah um so I, I lay my head back down and uh, and i remember looking up and then there were three grids of light which were kind of like high above my head and um and i remember looking into those grids of light and the same thing like normally you wouldn't be able to look into such intense light you know on earth whether it would be the sun or electric lighting or whatever you know it'd be too much to deal with but yeah. but my eyes could handle it and i was not only that i was drawn to looking into this light because it was just so beautiful and it felt so healing and powerful you know that i just didn't want to let go of that so so yeah so, and, then, um, and so you're looking into the light and what happens next? I'm lying there and then I, 
I suddenly started thinking about my family, which is odd because up until that stage, um, it, throughout my life, I'd, I'd always been suffered from anxiety and uh, and guilt was always my middle name, you know. It was just like normally I'd be thinking, you know, oh my goodness, my family, oh my gosh, you know, what's going to happen? How are they? What's going to But I didn't. I calmly thought to myself, I better check my family out and see how they're doing, you know, <laughs> and because uh, I knew that what kind of state they were in, where I'd left them back in in the hospital. So I kind of rolled over to my left hand side, thinking that I would look down to see them down back in the hospital, and. Uh, so I just kind of slowly rolled over, and I remember looking at that's when I could see right over the edge of this huge piece of slate. And instead of seeing my family down in the hospital, what I did see then was this like incredible, beautiful sight. It was like uh, the way I could describe it would be it was like a waterfall of stars, which were like cascading just down, and the beautiful energy and flow of light that was coming from these stars uh, was 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 quite immense, and it was just flowing down and again this the hugeness of it was was just something like i'd never you know experienced in my life and it was just not not it was it was like looking down as as the stars cascaded down then they seemed to disappear into another uh, universal together and then into another galaxy it was just like it was infinite wow. so this was like an infinite deep sort of beautiful waterfall and i just thought Right, I'm certainly not in a small darkened room at all. You know, I'm, I felt like I was floating around I'm in floating. the middle of the universe. Yeah, in right? the universe, yeah. I'm yeah. here floating around on this plinth. <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, it's interesting because it's um, since then, I, you know, whenever there's a, a, a TV documentary on about uh, astronauts going into space or what have you, you know, or. I, I'm, I'm on there straight away, I'm on it. I never used to be interested in that at all, but I got to watch those programs because I want to hear what they have to say and I want to see images of space and from, you know, from their crafts and hear what they have to say. And do you know what's really fascinating is like, first of all, when I see some of the images from space, I just, yeah, that's what I saw. In fact, only recently, um, they started um, uh, taking some photographs on, the, I think it's Hubble, is it? The, the, Hubble, the big, yeah. yeah, and the, and they were taken of, of new parts, new galaxies that they'd never been able to photograph before. Um, and I promise you, I looked at them and I was aghast. I was going, wow, that's what I saw. Because I saw, you know, sort of um, stars that were just kind of in, in red clouds and stuff, which I, I put into my painting, you know, and, uh, and they looked just that, like that. And I thought, that's incredible. That's remarkable. I'd seen that, you know, before these images had come through from NASA, you know, and... Uh, and uh, also, the, what's also fascinating is, is these, the astronauts, you know, you may know this, but quite a few of the astronauts when they come back, I mean, they're scientists, and they wander around in space, standing on the moon, gazing back at Earth. You know, they, um, they, they converted to, to their thoughts to a lot more, on a much, much more spiritual level, you know, they were much yeah, more connected with their spiritual, yeah, yeah which so is lovely, you know, and I'm not surprised. Some of them, when they looked out at that tiny blue dot hovering in space, they said, everything, all that drama, everything we go through is happening on that tiny blue dot. And from this perspective, it seems so insignificant, you know. Like, I know. Yeah. All the wars, all the rock stars, the movies, the drama, the fighting, the families, all of it is happening on that tiny blue dot. 
yeah, I, I, I've heard that many times and I often think, yeah, that perspective. You know, I've interviewed a guy called Garnet who spiritual guide takes him out in his astral body and flies him around the universe and, and he'll take him above earth and they'll turn around and they'll look back from that, from your kind of NDE's perspective, like he's out there in the universe hovering in his astral body, looking back at earth and um, sort of having that, that perspective that an astronaut would have and just marveling at the beauty of this beautiful blue planet that we live on yeah, yeah that all that our bodies live on anyway i don't think that our soul lives on it <laughs> <laughs> okay so what happens there's just so much to talk about there's so much to talk about what happens there because i want to go through the paintings and i want to talk about the after effects sure, um yeah. how long were you there like i know and there's no time and space where you are but this, what did yeah, it feel like what did it feel it, like for you it um it sounds like a cliche, but yeah, but time was was kind of irrelevant, irrelevant. I guess. You know, so I couldn't irrelevant. Yeah, yeah, thought that's a phrase. And um, so it's. I wish it had been longer. In all fairness, you know, I was I always when I did actually come back, it was like, you know, it was quite. It was a massive shock. It was. It literally was like crashing back through space, you know, and back to Earth. And um, uh, you know, it's. It, oh. You know, I, I remember opening my eyes again back in, in the hospital and, and looking up and seeing my friend Anna was still staring at me, you know, but but I remember looking up and seeing the, the, the hospital sort of fluorescent strip lights, kind of, it felt like they were screaming into my my eyes, you know, and, and the noise, the sound was just suddenly up, so yeah, all my senses were, were on overload, you know, as yeah. it were. Mm. So, um, I, and I remember saying to Anna, I said, I said, Anna, I've got something to tell you. It's really important. This is really important. She said, I know, I know. She was like trying to calm me, you know, and uh, because they were just about to take me through the theatre, you know, to start operating. And uh, and I said, no, you 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 need to know this. He said, we'll talk about it later. I said, okay, you know. So the importance of what had just happened was imminent to me. You know, it was like from that moment of coming back, it was like I've got to tell the world about this. I was just really, really needed to talk about it with with everybody you know to share it and just say look i've just been to the other side and i've seen it and it's really it's really quite amazing and you're all gonna love it and you've got nothing to fear you know don't because up until that point you know i realized that we all feared death and we didn't even talk about it most people don't even broach the subject you know but but you know, i was just very keen to sort of pass on the message of what was there so what year was this, David? It was like early two thousand. This was two, yeah, two thousand and six. This happened, right, yeah, right. So, yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, so, and so I, I, I go on. Well, when you spoke to Anna afterwards, so this mm. NDE happened between, like, she's standing at your bedside and you're looking at her, and then one minute you're looking at her, the next minute you're floating in space, and then you've come back and then you're still kind of looking up at her. To yeah. her, what? was the time frame from you being unconscious to conscious did, did she say did you ask her she or? didn't say no no um probably um, a nanosecond she the one thing she did when i told her about it afterwards when, when she came to visit me in the hospital she was like she was a complete captive audience she listened from start to finish as most people have been in all fairness and uh and in fact, everybody, that's the amazing thing. Like I thought most people are going to go, okay, you know, but no, most people want to know about it. But anyway, when I told her about it, 
the one thing she did say to me was that um, she said, "Yes." She said, "You know what?" She said, "I just saw your eyes change. You just your eyes just changed from being in stress and shock and fear, and can't they suddenly your eyes suddenly went into like a sort of calm, sort of serenity, serenity." So, and so, um, so that was interesting that she that she actually saw that happened to me physically, you know, that, that I'd gone from all the anxiety to, to peace. Wow, yeah. amazing, amazing story. Yeah. So did you experience much else, uh, any other environments while you were over there? Did you kind of just hang out I in space or did you Yeah, go? I, I, I didn't actually experience any more. I know that some people do go on to different levels and what have you, uh, but, um, you know, I, I have to be as close to the story as I can be, well, as I want, as I am, you know, and, and no, I didn't actually go on any further. You know, I guess when I came back, I, I, I put so much thought into what had happened. And as I say, I just knew, I, first of all, I thought, why have they sent me back? You know, what is my reason to have experienced that and come back? There must be a reason and, it, and I've got to find out what it is. And at first I thought it was just to help other people and, and, and stuff. And, and I'm lying there in hospital, you know, and I can hardly move because my injuries were so severe. And um, it's interesting because my mother and father would come in and see me and they would say, my mother would say it's day. She said, and she still says it now. She said, she said it's, it's amazing. We come in and see you and uh, you're glowing. Even though you can hardly move, you were just glowing. And, and she said, and you, it, she said, it's like you're giving out strength to other people around you, from the nurses to people who come and visit you. And um, and it's it's absolutely true because that's how I felt, you know. And it's it's um, so so I figured that you know they sent me back fully equipped with with a, a very sort of you know sort of knowledge of um, wanting to know more, you know, really inquiring mind. Let's say, so I mean, I was very I wanted to sort of really take make sure that I took this as far as I could and got it out to everybody. And, and uh, I mean, the story I wanted, I'd love to have written the story right from the start, you know, uh, but I'm, I'm severely dyslexic, so I, I could never have written a book. And uh, it was just recently a, a friend of mine turned around to me and uh, she said, I, 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 I want to write a book and um, I'd like to write your story. And I said, well, that'd be fantastic, you know. So she's been my ghostwriter and I've known her for years. So she knows me really well. So we were able to work together and, uh, on this project and, and bring it to, to the point that, that we had this. And it was, it's actually her first book, you know, she's, um, you know, she's, she's had a few sort of medical journals published, but this was something different for her. And so she's yeah. amazed. And so am I that the, 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 the attention that it's already received, I, Dr. Raymond Moody, you know, she thinks it's great, but I said, this is what happened with the symphony. It's the same thing. And I feel like my guides are uh, helping me to sort of take this forward and, and bring yeah, it out to the world. Isn't definitely it? guided. So when you were over in that environment, did you have any clue as to coming back and writing classical music or like, did you, did they, were you, was that communicated with you or? No, um, no, nobody actually spoke to me. Uh, I, I still feel now that all the communication I was receiving was I was kind of like sort of um, telepathic, let's say, you know, that, that, you know, it didn't take long for it to come together to me. And, 
in fact, it was only the very next day my sister came in to, to visit me, and um, I was I got the, you know they'd given me this room to myself in the hospital because I was in such a bad way. They prepared it already, you know, and um, my sister was chatting to me very calmly, and she said, "Is there anything I can get you?" You know, I said, uh, "Yeah, can you get me a, a little sketch pad and a pencil?" Uh, you know, and 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 she was going, "Okay." She was like, went along with it. She didn't know why, and that was because. I was so keen to actually start sketching down what I'd seen, yeah. where, what I'd just experienced, because I knew that I was going to, I'd never done a painting like this before ever. And I thought, I've got to paint this. And it's got to be big. It's got to be like a Michelangelo. It's got to be a big canvas, you know. And that was my plan from day one, you know. So, I, so, so there was like a tele telepathy going on there saying, yes, that's what you're going to do. Yeah, it's just kind of more like a knowing. I know because, you know, I received guidance. And that it comes in so many different forms, visually, telepathically, auditory. And sometimes it's just, I get a download of so much information that comes in a nanosecond. And yet to unravel it, to speak about it would take hours. And so there's like that knowing that you can't explain because it's not, it's non-linear. Non okay, look, you, did you paint before, like, did you draw before the NDE? Well, I, I was always interested in drawing and, you know, when I was at yeah. school and I'd like to have taken that further, but I, you know, I, I failed all my academics at school. And so, yeah, because you, you were just like, no way I could, yeah, yeah. this is it. Yeah. But, but, I, look, you know, I totally I, get it. I was the same. Could draw for oh, days, could dance, could draw, could yeah. sing, but couldn't read or write anything. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, this is it. And, um, um, and the, the crazy thing is, is that even if I wanted to get into art school, and, and do a foundation course, as they, as they call it here, I would have had to have had English language. And that, right. they, they insist on that. I guess it's because of, you know, you, you're learning uh, art history, so you need to be able to do quite a lot of written work. But um, so, so, yeah, so, so those lack of academics just um, held me up. I, wasn't, I was not able to go forward. So, so, so I was always gone, sorry. How old were you when you had the NDE? I was 46 when All I had right, the NDE. 46. Yeah. And what did you do for work before that? Well, uh, as as I say, yeah, I was a, I was a musician to start off with, so I was like scraping a living whenever I could out of that. It's never easy to make money out of, of playing in in bands and whatever, you know. But um, eventually, yeah, I, I went on to sort of just the only thing I could do was pick up uh, manual work, and so I was picking up quite a lot of, right. of manual work. And um, but I was. I realised I wasn't actually cut out for that. I wasn't that good at it. I was looking around and I was seeing all these other guys thinking, they're, they, they're so much more efficient at this job than I am. You know, this is not for me, but I've got no choice. And so that's the kind of work I was doing. So I was never really in a comfortable place because, you know, it felt like the gears were grinding for me. And that's not demeaning manual workers at all because they, they do a fantastic job and I really mean that. They do. It's, 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 you know, I learned a lot watching all that and watching them at work. But... Um, you know, so it was like, that's where I was at. Yeah, that's what that's I was Okay, at. I'm getting a bit of picture of like, you know, your life. It sounds to me like because of your dyslexia, you know, like academia does not celebrate a creative mind if you, if you don't have the logical thing on tap. And so like me, you know, you're, you're, you're labelled as silly, stupid, dumb, you know, whatever because you're not like killing it at school, you know, 
and so I, I don't know I just feel like you were probably quite down on yourself a lot for not oh. being um, you know the businessman or whatever and uh, sort of struggling it just sounds to me when you look at your life before the NDE I just see so much struggle and self judgment and 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 it's made you a very humble person uh, a very humble person and um, which still even after what's happened in the last few years is still very present in you and um, yeah wow and so you and so your guides are sort of wow they've because you know the fact that you were dyslexic there's no um, mistake about that you know that you were here to use those creative your musical talents and artistic talents to communicate um, who we are and where we come from I suppose and that was the, the NDE was the wake-up call okay let's have a look at some of these paintings so you've got this painting of you with the uh, blue over you and the it looks like the sun in the distance but that's the tunnel of light you were talking about right tunnel of light, yeah, that's the yeah. tunnel of light who's the blonde guy with the black t-shirt that's that's that is the androgynous being that I that's the androgynous about. being okay yeah, that's, that's him yeah. yeah ah did he give you a name or do you i know you no know. yeah as i say yeah there's no no, no speech so yeah mm -hmm. do you have a name for him now you know <laughs> you can ask. I don't have a name for him actually. You yeah. can ask him if you want. I'm uh, to. Well, as soon as you said that, I, I said Ariel. But there I don't you know go. If that's the right. Ariel. Ariel. Ariel's Ariel. an archangel. And the archangel <laughs> Ariel true. is here to help people uh, with animals in the earth. There you go. Uh -huh, that's uh, good. My daughter says her angel's called Ariel as well. And I thought when she was, oh, okay. I asked her, and I thought that was because she'd watched that little mermaid thing, who's an Ariel. And that was my logical brain kicking in. I shouldn't have judged it. And, okay, so there's one of you two on the uh, plinth, but you've kind of looked like you've got blue and purple satin, like you're lying on blue and purple. And then there are all these beings healing you. So that's the... So who's yes. the dude? Who's the dude next to... I think that's Ariel. <laughs> right, um, yes. Who's okay. the guy with the glasses on that's balding? Like there's a face. Okay, well, there's an interesting... That's my grandfather. Ah, um, and, okay. And the reason that he appeared was because um, when I when I came across the spiritualist church again afterwards, because I really wanted to find them and talk to them, and um, I I found it by chance. Well, I was able to start walking again, uh, and my sister used to take me out for walks, and we walked down to the river one day, and we walked past. I said, "I've got to find this church. Where is it? Somewhere around here." And then as I said that. Some people walked through this doorway. I said, this is it. It's here. And it was a Sunday and they were going in for a service. So they said, why don't you come in? I said, yeah. So I went in. And um, at the end of each service, they'd, they'd have a guest medium come along. And nearly every week, because I went, started going for a few weeks, and nearly every week that I went, I'd get picked out. I think it's because I was still, a big part of me was still connected very, you know, I felt like, it, like, like I got my umbilical cord still attached yeah, to yeah. where I'd been up in, in, in the, the, the NDE. So anyway, so I don't know, but I was getting picked out most weeks. They started laughing because I was this new guy turned up in the church. I go, oh, it's him again, you know. Oh, yeah. And uh, but in a lovely way, they were, you know, they thought yeah. it was lovely, yeah. But um, but nearly every week they would. I know grandfather's obviously a common one to be picked out, but 
they got him so some of them would just describe certain things that only him and I would have known about each other. And I thought that he definitely is there. That's him. So um, I was when I was doing that painting, I, I, I was painting it, and there was this little space on the ca canvas which, for some reason, hadn't been filled in. You know, I'd been doing all the background as I was going along, and, there was this, and I thought, and somebody said, "What's going on with that space?" I said, "Oh, I, I must fill it in." You know, I was just kind of just blacking it in and stuff, and uh, and then I suddenly. Had I had the radio on while I was painting one day, and there was this organ music playing. And my father, grandfather, used to play the organ. I remember, and it just reminded me of him. And I, so I just put him in there because I thought, well, I'd been told the previous week by uh, the mother of a medium. She came and sat with me afterwards. She said, uh, "How are you?" I heard all about your accent, and I said, "Oh yeah." And she said, um, "She said I'm, I'm a medium also, but I'm retired now. But I just got to tell you that on that day." you had a very powerful power animal that saved you from going under that train. Mm. And I totally, I said, oh, I take that with me because something very powerful did save me. You know, the rail police investigated and they, and they looked at it afterwards. And that, the, the head of the whole UK rail police said to me, said, we don't get it. You should be dead. You should not have survived that. We've done all our measurements you know, and everything. And you should be dead. You know, I said, I know. But anyhow, but she also said, your grandfather was a, was a very powerful part of all that equation as well. He was right. he instrumented a lot of of saving you that day, and he's with you now. He's really helping you and guiding you. So he has. So what's your grandfather's name? Harry. Hi, Harry. Yeah, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Harry. <laughs> um, okay, so there's Granddad, and also mm. in the painting you've got what looks like an indigenous girl. I think she's, mm -hmm. she looks American Indian a little bit, or she could be. That's right, yeah, she is. Yes, that's how she looked to me, kind of like, yeah. Right, so. American Indian. So. What's her name? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Yes, you do. Uh, what, yeah. did you get? what did you get when I asked you, first thing? Uh, oh, no, 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 don't. What did you get? <laughs> no. Uh, Come on, don't judge it. The first thought, <laughs> first thought you had when I asked you. The first thought, oh, okay, well, I don't know if it fits, but I got, I got Kia. There you go. I got, all right, here. <laughs> Can't judge these things. And then on the other side is another woman, and she's looking a little gold. She's got this sort of gold glow to her. Yeah, yeah. What's her name? Mm. Uh, First thought. Well, okay. Well, Amber. The, Amber. The saying gold. Amber. She the, looks the Amber. Name. Yeah, she looks Amber. Yeah. That's beautiful. And there's yeah. the and. Um, Ariel at the back there. And then, and then there's a couple of people sort of floating in the sky. Yeah. The reason I painted them, I didn't actually see those, but I, 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 at that stage, when I was doing the sketch in the hospital, I wanted to somehow, because I didn't think anyone was going to believe me, to be honest with you at that point. I thought, right. no one's going to believe me. So yeah. I wanted to have two angels that people could connect with that were literally to show that there was the energy and the, of what was going on, you know, that, so they are there. So they're not actually beings that I saw. They're just a sort of Couple give of people a guide yeah. of look. Yeah, so, yeah. Which is where I was. But what's confusing? You know, otherwise, otherwise, they might just think that I'm, if they weren't there, I think people might. At the time, I thought people were just going to look at that and think I'm. Well, you know, he's 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 having some Reiki healing in a special place here. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't worry about what people think. People are going to think stuff. You can't. Oh, no, I, I don't care now. But so it, how it, come it looks like you're looking out of a window with bars on it, like? What's that? Those are the three. Those are the three grids of uh, white light. Oh, they're the three grids, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
So they, they were shining down on me and then I could feel the energy from that light was just kind of like coming down onto me just so as much as the energy. What did the hand. three grids mean? Well, first of all, they, they, when I looked into them, they, they meant to me that this was, um, this was the next stage that, you know, that that's when I thought, no, this is the next stage looking into those lights because the, it felt like it was purity. It was like, it was like pure white light uh, sending the energy into me. So it felt like purifying me, I guess. So, so that's how it felt. It was like a purity is probably the best way to describe what I felt when I looked at this. Like yeah. clearing you, cleansing you. Yeah, like clearing. cleansing you. All right, so there's there's another painting here of the rail tracks, the workers in their green outfits, your yeah. hand, it's looking a little messy, you know, it's been torn apart. That's but you're right, sort yeah. of pointing up at um, someone playing the cello in a, lo looks like he's in his blue pyjamas, <laughs> or she. Uh, she, yes, yeah. <laughs> With blonde hair. Um, yeah, okay. What, what's a big wave at the end of the tracks? I love, I love this. Okay. Actually, it's kind of gory, but I love oh, it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well, um, well, it started off that I, that, that was, um, that was my second painting that I did after the one we just talked about. And, uh, that was, a, uh, that was like a bit of a, also a bit of a healing process for me physically, because I wanted to paint the horror of what had happened because I couldn't escape that, you know, I, I'm not yeah. inhuman, you know, it was like pretty horrific. So that was my way of processing what had happened on, on canvas, which was yeah. very much a healing process. So yeah. what it is, is uh, first of all, I wanted to show when I remember seeing, you know, my arm rips open. Is this okay talking about this or would you rather not? Sure. Yeah, sure. Well, <laughs> I, but because it was quite beautiful. In fact, this is what's so odd. Right. The first thing I noticed was that my this sheepskin coat I've been wearing had been torn to shreds on the arm, and my I could see my arm had been ripped open. But I remember just lying there, like looking and seeing all the workings with inside my arm, and thinking, "Wow, that's amazing! That's how it all works. That's how it looks." It was like having a science lesson, but I was fascinated by it. So I wanted to paint that. I wanted to paint that. That that, that is what I saw, and try and paint that. It's called the beauty within that painting because I, that's what it's all about—the beauty right. within my physical being um so that was the start of it but the, the 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 guys who are wearing all the jackets they're they're the paramedics that's how they look they jump down on the track with their swishy jackets on you know there mm. and uh, they were there you know just basically saving me and stuff and uh, yeah. then so that they're in it just to show what's going on they're working on me on, me on the track and then the, the meaning behind the tidal wave again i was guided to do that i didn't think it through I was just painting and then I just wanted to take you from the darkness into the light because that's what happened as I say as the train had moved on I'd gone from all that hell and oil and darkness to this beautiful blue sky and and this feeling of being in touch with nature so the, the, the tidal wave suddenly appeared as I was painting taking you from that light in, the darkness into the light and the and the, the meaning of the girl playing the cello is that um I was starting to realized at that point that I was music was also going to be uh, another medium uh, that I was going to start using to um, express what had happened and I was listening to music all the time that I was painting so music was a very much important part of also my healing when I was in hospital I listened to um, there was one album in, in particular by Kate Bush 
Uh, have you heard of Kate Bush? Yeah. And, uh, and, it's, and it's actually called Ariel. Wow, what about that? And it's... <laughs> wow. And um, it's, a, it's still the most special piece of music to this day, you know. And uh, I'll tell you what, what is crazy, that um, she... Um, she did some dates here a couple of years ago in the UK, the first that she'd done for years, and they, there was a lot of press about it because they sold out in, in something like um, for something like 14 seconds, minutes or seconds, seconds. sold it really quick. Yeah, yeah. They went really, really quick, all these yeah, tickets, yeah. you know. And I managed to get four tickets, and it was like, if, uh, um, I was sent an email, I was given a, an inroad, and I still don't know this to, the, to this day how that happened, but... Anyway, we got these tickets. So I remember going to see Kate Bush, and it was just the most magical spiritual experience. Hearing that all that music perform live, I just I was in tears throughout because it just brought me back to the, the healing process in hospital. So yeah, music played a big part. Um, there's also a cat in that painting. Well, I know a little puss up there in the corner because exactly. with, with the little white slippers on. <laughs> I have to tell you something. It looks exactly like my cat. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't escape little puss up there in the corner. Brilliant. So what's he, what's he, she, doing up there? That, that cat is called Mushu, and uh, that's, that's a he, yeah. He's called Mushu, and that's my sister's cat. Right. And on the day when I was about to leave uh, with Anna to, to see her off at the station, I remember he came into the room and he jumped up on this like sort of, it was quite a low ceiling. It was an old house where they lived and, 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 but he jumped up on top of this kind of like, like sort of filing cabinet that was like very close to the ceiling. And I, I thought, what, how did he get up there? You know? And he was just there with his paw dangling down and he just kept staring at me. And we both said, well, what are you doing? And I said, and we both said, it's like he's trying to say something to me. And so we've never forgotten that. And I've never forgotten it. I felt like he was. He was like he was trying to say, warn me. And he is now, no. he's still around, right? He's, he's like 14, maybe 15 now. And he's like, he's like my little soulmate. He know, we know each other. Do you know what I mean? And it's like he had to go into painting because, you know, we talk about it with my sister's family. You know, if ever he jumps up on top of it, any high cabinets now she's going oh no what's going to happen <laughs> you know so he's like he's quite a psychic cat you know so he had to go into painting so yeah, yeah. he's up there warning yeah. me about what's about to happen that day and you so, sent me so, one yeah. of a, a close-up of ariel who's mm. the dude in the black t-shirt that looks androgynous could be a woman could be a man you've actually depicted mm. it quite beautifully because when you look at it up close it could be a woman, could be a man. Yeah, you know. Exactly, like, yeah. 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 And and hopefully you can see in that that, that there's not really a, a full smile on that face, but you can hopefully sense that there's there's a smile coming off. Yeah, that, yeah. That being. I mean, that was, you know, that's what I tried to get when I was, when I was painting that. So I would say, so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's beautiful. Uh, yeah. And then there's, a, then there's a picture of what looks like the sun, but I know that it's supposed to be the... The, That's the, the, light the, again, yeah. the light tunnel, but it looks mm. fiery, you know, it's kind of all red. It is fiery, yeah, there was. It fiery, was very dramatic. Fiery, it's dramatic. Yeah. It was very dramatic, yeah, because, you know, it's, it, it was it was very, it, well, it, it wasn't like a fire that you that you'd fear, that you think, oh, my goodness, this, this, could, this could, you know, be dangerous. It was, it was actually rotating very slowly. Uh, and so the flames were just kind of like really slowly rotating. And, um, um, 
and that kind of on that one you see there's kind of like a bit that kind of goes off to the off to the left it's kind of like almost like a tail of fire coming from it i don't know if you can see that there yeah now when i was doing that painting i was being again that was another piece that i didn't intend i didn't plan that to go but it just kind of as i was painting it it suddenly appeared it was just there's an idea it just started um evolving into part of that painting right. and that was um another image that uh, i saw um I'm, I'm gonna send it to you actually i'll find it out and uh, that hubble had taken of of, of a, another part of the of the, the galaxy that i've never seen before and that looks almost identical you know i send it i sent it to my friend that day and i said look at this this is how identical exactly it was so it's 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 uh, it's remarkable yeah you know, many years ago, uh, I used to teach people a specific healing technique and, and this healing technique used to get people connected to their psychic ability. And what's really interesting is that the students that I was teaching at one particular session, uh, we used to give people readings, psychic readings. Some of the best readings I've ever had came from these students that I was teaching. But one of them, we were taking people up to the Akashic records, like the the book of knowledge, the book of like our lives. And she was reading me and she said that she went through this tunnel of fire. And ah. the way she described it is just so similar to this painting. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. And it was kind of interesting to me when I think about it, it's like, it's like the light that burns off anything that's not needed. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like, yeah. When you go through it, it sort of burns off any negativity or doubt or, I don't know, it's sort of, yeah, that's how it yeah. feels, yeah, before you well, sort of reach that place where it's all pure positive energy. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. It's, it's well, as I say, I felt that from the, those three grids of white light, you know, that, that was clearing out all, all the negative energy because I had, I'd got so much negative energy that, that was in my life at that point because, you know, the anxiety levels were getting very high. I was in a bad place. I mean, that's why I'd gone to stay with my sister at that point. You know, she said, you, you know, I was living in London and she said, you need, you need a break, you know, come and stay with us. Mm -hmm. So that's why I was there, you know. So there was a lot of cleansing to be done. And you, that's great what you just said to me then. That's really interesting because that that really was the main source of power, as I said earlier, which was coming from that. And Did you uh, feel like so. if you travelled through that tunnel that you kind of wouldn't come back? I, yeah, I figured that would be the case because it was interesting because I actually felt that I was at a stage where I was being prepared something bigger for, for the next stage i thought this is like this is almost like the, the departure land if you like you know i just felt like i was just there and and the, all this light coming from above and these healers were just getting me ready preparing me for the next stage of what i felt to be death i mean i felt i was dead while i was there i really felt this is it i've died but i had no sort of sense of like oh my gosh i'm dead i loved it i was, I was really happy to stay there but yeah. this is death this is fantastic you know so what was so. the point where you came back like did you just find yourself back in your body did you think yeah i should go back did you think of someone something that brought you back what was happening um well, it was pretty much after I'd, I'd got that thought that I should look down on my family and check on, and check on them. So, and then I just remember 
bringing my head back around and that's when I was back. So I didn't want to go back at all. I, I, I was really quite happy to say that. I remember when I rolled my head back over, I thought, well, okay, well, I can't see my family now, but they're going to be fine. They're going to be seeing me soon. That's what I thought. I remember having that thought. I said to myself, well, I'll be seeing them. They'll be, they'll be up here joining me and they're going to be enjoying it as well. So but there's no sense of guilt or anything that I've been, when I was down in hospital, all I felt was guilt. I felt, my mother said to me, I was apologizing. I was going, I'm so sorry. It's always me causing trouble and I've done it again. I brought trouble to you. And again, no, stop. Why are you apologizing? You know, because I, it, it was an accident. It was like, you know, I, I couldn't have been avoided. So, You know, what I'm thinking is uh, you said that you were kind of down and out at the time that the accident happened and then this terrible thing happens. And I'm thinking about your friends and family thinking, poor David, he just can't catch a break. You know, it's gone from bad to worse. But actually, yeah. what this terrible incident that was so horrific was your break, was you catching oh, a break. Oh, certainly. Yeah, it's, I mean, changed you up. Okay, let's yeah. bring you back to earth. You've woken <laughs> up in the hospital. What's happening? You're sketching. How are these, how's the music coming to you? What, what's, take us through that journey. Well, um, well, first of all, I have to say, when I was in the hospital, I could hardly sketch. So the, the nurses had to prop like this little sketch pad up. It was only like a tiny little life, I think. And then yeah. I've still got the sketches and you can barely see what I've drawn, but it's almost like an outline of this first painting. And, uh, but it was enough for me to, uh, I was worried that I was going to forget it all, but of course I never have done, you know? Mm. And um, so the music, the music came through the spiritual healing because when I, when I went into the very first meeting I went to at this church, at the end they have tea and coffee and chat and stuff. And uh, um, a lady came over to me and said, look, we don't, normally say this to people because but and invite them along but i can see looking at you you could do some healing and we actually do what's called spiritual healing on thursday evenings if you're interested i said yeah i'd love to you know so i went along and um this is in spiritual the no no this is at the, at the spiritualist church sorry oh, this is at the church that i discovered where where i'd seen the medium right. and um yeah oh i wish yeah <laughs> that would yeah. be great spiritual healers in the hospital yeah well they were telling me that they're starting to do that they are starting to do that so yeah. great we're all moving forward yeah and um anyhow so i was having spiritual healing which is a process which is not too far off that painting where i'm actually yeah. lying down on on a sort of like a massage bed if you like you know one of those trestle ones and uh and then i'd have one or two healers with their hands over me just like that and then and uh, they would heal me and one or two of them were actually medium so at the end they would give me like short messages. They would say, oh, they're telling me, they were giving me, you know, blue light or what have you and healing light and energy and stuff. And then one week, one of them turned around to me and said, um, they're telling me um, you're going to be writing some music about your experience. I was going, oh, okay. So at that point I figured I've got to go away and, and write a song because that's all I've ever known, you know, playing guitar. I couldn't play guitar anymore because my left arm had been so badly damaged. Right. So, um, but I had this little, cheap old synthesizer at home and uh, I, I just had that out one afternoon and uh, I just started playing a few chords on it I thought, oh that's nice I recorded that and I thought that's good that, I like the sound of that and I went back to have some more healing and then another healer who's also uh, a medium turned around to me she said the end she said she's German and she said why am I seeing a uh, excuse my German accent terrible there but I said why am I seeing a, 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 a uh, violin uh, laid across your chest. I'm hearing Wagner and uh, Beethoven and Bach, and I said, "Oh, 
great, I don't know, but I'll take it. And then I went away and I started thinking, these chord progressions, I was, that's really beautiful. And, they, and I thought maybe this is the kind of the piece of music that I'm supposed to be writing. So I developed it, I kept hearing more sounds. And, and I was hearing sounds that I didn't know then would be like, for example, a French horn came through. And, uh, and I just thought this is gonna be, this is going to be the piece that I'm supposed to be writing. I've got to write for orchestra. Um, so I'd met somebody who was uh, playing uh, cello in the orchestra and um, local orchestra. And she'd asked me if I would, um, she'd seen my paintings. She used to come up and see me painting that first one. And, um, you know, and uh, she said to me, these are really beautiful paintings. She said, would you mind uh, if we use one of your paintings for, uh, for our poster? I said, yeah, of course, you know, so they were doing that. So I got to know the orchestra. I went to their first concert after that. And, um, and I told her, I said, look, I'm working on this piece of music. I said, it feels like it could be for orchestra maybe one day. And she actually turned around and said, oh, maybe we could play it, you know. I was, really, I was going, really? And I went away and I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work at this. I'm going to actually get this and, and to the stage where, and take it to them. Um, so that's, that was, that was my, my game plan. So I just built it from there. And I, I'd already, I was channeling ideas for music because I'd already understood what channeling is all about through my art, through my paintings, because yeah. I'd done quite a few paintings up until that stage. And I was thinking, I was standing back at the end of the day, I was looking at my paintings and thinking, wow, that's not me. I haven't done all this. Where's it all come from? And I, and I was getting, I was being guided to, you know, to paint and to, to get the confidence and the, and the, uh, the ability. It's like a crash course in, in art, you know, and, uh, and, it's, and so I thought, the same thing started to happen with music. You know, wow. I was like, you know, I just had this tiny little old synthesizer and ideas were coming through. So let's, yeah. let's look at your mindset uh, before and after. It yeah. feels like before you kind of had some dreams about music and sort of struggled away and kind of thought, I can't catch a break. I can't catch a break. You know, it's not sort of happening for me. And then after, it feels like there's just one synchronicity after the other, after the other, after the other, just every, all the puzzle, it's all falling into place. You yeah. know, like no matter where you go, you meet someone and says, oh, that's happened that. So it seems like two completely different lives. But let's have a, like, how did you feel about life, love and the universe and yourself after the NDE? Did you, were you kind of float, floating on cloud nine or? Well, I, I was. I felt what, what I felt was I felt this incredible charge inside of me. You know, as I say, when I was in hospital, I could physically I was could hardly move, but inside I was just like, wow! I I got more positive energy than than I'd ever experienced in my life. So that has stayed with me. Um, you know, this this the reality of of um, of facing a, a huge accident like that. You know, staring death in the face and you know and going through such a massive physical trauma has taken certain elements of me away, you know, it's a, you know, I haven't got that spring in my step I used to have. And, uh, you know, this physically, you know, there's certain elements of me that aren't the same as were, they were before, but I've, I haven't lost that sort of, um, you know, sort of feeling of, uh, uh, of, of oneness with, with what happened with the, with the, with the universe and, and also, Funny enough, with animals, as you say, that's interesting you brought that up earlier because I've got a strong affinity 
with with animals and you know I, I used to eat meat before but I don't I stopped eating meat you know and uh, right. but but I also you know but just nature itself you know there's, there's this like this like connection I mean I've got these three beautiful trees that right outside my window I'm looking at now and they're like my friends as well they're like they're yeah. like sort of realize all those elements are so important again it's almost like these astronauts coming back to earth one of them actually said he said you stand on the dusty old moon you know and you fly back to earth and once you land you look around and you think well this is heaven the earth is just like this beautiful you come back and you see all these amazing colors and stuff and all around there's all these greens and blues and, and that's what it's like for me and so you know I, I, there's a sense of that but there's um, a sense of wanting to bring that that love that energy of love and try to sort of share it as much as you can without sounding like a cliche you know and uh so so it's very important oh, dang it's too good you, you, your accent reminds me of the beatles doesn't he sound like the beatles I don't <laughs> you come, do you come near where they came from i kind of listen to you and i keep getting glimpses of like that's interesting yeah the beatles and and they very much had that same intention through their music to bring love and enlightenment you know not initially yeah. initially they just wanted yeah. to sing, you know and get famous and they did that and then yeah. there was a new desire, you know, like let's let's heal humanity, sort of thing. So um, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, that you've got you've got this cosmic Christ too. I'm looking at another one of your paintings. Uh, he's floating over some water, and he looks like it looks like a halo over his head, but actually it looks like a UFO over his head. What's going on there? Is that that painting? Okay, what's going on there? Yeah, what's going on with this guy? Sure. Yeah. Well, um, basically, this again, this goes back to the. This is a uh, reflection of my healing sessions. Um, uh, What the halo? What's going on with the halo? There is those are the kind of images that I would see when I was having healing. You know, I'd see these kind of lights coming down, and and um, it was very similar to that. And one of the healing sessions i actually had this image of christ come to me and i just saw this and i thought wow that's christ <laughs> and i didn't say anything about it afterwards and then the one of the healers was also meeting turned around and had exactly the same thought or vision she said i just i saw christ stood next to you and i was going well, i saw the same thing so i just thought i've got to paint this so I wanted to paint him as I saw him, you know, you know, it's interesting because I think now whenever I walk into a church, every image of Christ is at his worst possible point where he's hanging from a cross. God yeah. bless him. And it was just like, you know, I know that there's a reason for that, but, but I thought, you don't really see images like the one I wanted to paint where he's looking very, where he's passed on himself, where his, he's, you know, his body's been healed, you know, and, uh, so I wanted to paint, paint him as I saw him looking down on me. And I, he's floating above the river and the meadow, which is just outside where I live. Um, so that's him. I wanted to show him here in my hometown, as it were, so the, right. or my home place, you know. And as I say, the halo, I thought most halos you see, they're just kind of like just a fine white line and that's it. But I thought, well, no, I just wanted to paint what I'd seen in my healing sessions as well, not above him, but just I wanted to combine the two. So that that's all about my healing. And also give him quite a massive crown of a halo, give him something big and special. Yeah? So that was the idea, yeah. So to me, it looks like a total UFO above his head. 
<laughs> yeah, that's everyone gets different takes on it. Yeah, somebody said it looks like a carousel, you know. And, carousel, uh, yeah. I suppose yeah, everyone so, yeah, looks at it differently. Yeah. Okay, so the music, the music, the music. How long mm. was it from? So it was actually two years from when you had the accident to you having your first symphony yeah, concert. Premier, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. so quick. So, that's I, I, I did so much. It was incredible because. As I say, this energy was inside of me, and obviously, it didn't require a lot of physical work. I mean, at that point, I was still going back into hospital three times, three days a week, you know, three times a week. So yeah, to you know, to have my dressings changed and all sorts. But you know, as soon as I got back home, I was either, you know, basically, some friends of mine, they they run a health centre, and uh, I, I uh, on one of my walks, I bumped into them. They said, "How are you doing?" You know, I said, "Yeah." I'm okay. I said, and it was at that point when I said I wanted to do this painting. And uh, I said, but I got this big canvas. I said, but I've, I've got nowhere to do it. So I haven't started it. And they said, well, we've got a studio above um, our place here. And we're, we're closed for the week. We're, we're refurbishing. We can use the space for a week. I said, great. And uh, they loved having me there. And I ended up staying there for like, for about two and a half years, I think it was. <laughs> and so I was, so I was going there, there and doing all these paintings and painting like prolifically. And, and then I'd come home and be working on the music. So there was a lot of energy coming out of me, just flowing because it needed to, you know, and I needed to transform all this energy into something physical and to be able to tell the story. And, you know, the interesting thing was that the, it got, not only were the, the people came up to me at the end of the concert who uh, were really fascinated about They'd read about me and they'd heard all about, they'd seen me on the television and heard all about near-death experiences. So it was my first time I'd, I'd met people who were kind of like-wise-minded about it or, you know, wanted to talk about it. So that was great. And then I was picking up uh, interviews as well, you know, on the radio from it. And uh, so uh, so that was really good. And uh, it was quite interesting because there was one guy that interested me. And he was like, he was on like um, what we call a, a drive-time show, you know, so it's very lightweight, light-hearted stuff. Yeah. And they got they they phoned me up and they said, "Would you like to appear on this show? Because uh, we've got a, a, one guy who's going to be on the day before you, and he's going to be the scientist who's going into hospitals and photographing people who have agreed to it, who are having heart surgery, and seeing if they notice if whatever they talk about in their ND, if, it, if it's accurate to the photographs or whatever, whatever it was." So I said, "Yeah, of course, I'd love to come on and talk about it." So I did. And I went on this show and I remember, you know, they, they spoke to me just before and said, you'll be going on shortly. And I could hear this guy talking and it was all like, hey, you know, this is Happy Radio. We're going to be talking to, you know, David Ditchell. He had a near-death experience, you know, and I thought, oh, no, this is all wrong. I shouldn't be doing this. It's going to be, this is going to be, the gears are going to grind again, you know. But you know what? I went on that show and I just started talking about it. And this guy actually turned around and he said, look, we've got to talk more about this. We're going to the news now, but this is just so fascinating. And we came back after the news and he said, I'm, he said, look, I'm a journalist. I'm supposed to like question all these things, but I can't. This is just so gripping what David's saying. Uh, we want to hear more, David. So it, I just thought at that point, it's fascinating that people do want to hear about this kind of stuff. You know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, I don't know why it's not spread more. I don't know why this isn't kind of like all over our, well, all over our, our media. You know? I, mean, it's, it's I know. Look, look, I know, I know, I know. I used to scream at the television on morning breakfast television because they used to talk so much rubbish and I used to think, why don't they talk about something worth talking about? 
<laughs> but but that was a while ago and things are changing and um that's great that you're getting out there in the mainstream you know i i I don't know how many mainstream people I attract to my show. I used to be on, on radio and talk to a kind of more mainstream public, yeah. but um, trying to pump out more spiritual enlightening messages to the mainstream. And I think it's, you know, it's, that's what needs to happen. People need to yeah. awaken. People need to remember who they are, their connection. I know, like I've been doing the radio and media thing for like nine years now. Every time I upload a near-death experience, show it gets so many more hits than any other show i do so there's that tells me that people in the west because i think the east is different but mm. they're looking to understand that we're eternal beings that there's life after this life that you know i i don't know the baby boomers are getting older they're all coming up again there's so, you know and there's so many people dying of cancer and sickness so people are touched by death i mean we're all going to be touched by death someone said once you know no one's getting out of here alive yeah. So there are people seeking answers to where we go and what happens when we die. And, um, yeah, so it's, it, it's becoming a more of a mainstream conversation, which is fabulous. Which yeah, is it is. Fabulous. Yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. Mm. <laughs> but, you know, one of the reasons I put NDEs on the show is because I want people, as you said, David, I want people to understand that we don't have to die to go to heaven, that we can bring heaven to earth i mean as you said when you look at the natural beauty of our world it's heavenly right mm. we live in this paradise we live in this unbelievable paradise yeah. and most of us don't appreciate it and yeah. then you know big companies polluting this world so we need to treat her like it is heaven you know and and bring yeah. that frequency that you are bringing with your art and your music bring that here into the minds into the consciousness of humanity i think that that's you know your mandate now right i think it is you know i mean because um yeah it's it's a physical way of pe people being able to sort of look at what's going on rather than just you know think oh should we listen to this guy or not if if, if the music and the, the art is out there more people see it they will look at it and uh, and, and most people seem to be drawn into both elements you know very strongly you know both the music and the art when they see it they, they really want to know about it they really want to question it you know uh, every time i've talked about it if people look at the painting or whatever it's like or paintings or whatever they, they want to know more about it you know people wouldn't normally have gone there and they've actually said that they've said i've never really thought about this i don't really think about death you know but now you've talked about it i realize that underneath i'm actually I am quite, it's because I'm, I fear it. And so I just yeah. say, look, there's no fear. Please don't fear death, you know, because there is nothing to fear. It's really beautiful where you're going to go. And most people are really thankful of that. They go, yeah, that's great. They feel relieved and good. And so that's what I'd love, you know, is for more and more people to understand that and to get it. And maybe help them to appreciate this earth around them a bit more because it certainly has with me, so that would be fantastic, you know, if, if, if spirituality starts to, um, you know, be kind of, I think it will, because I, I've got a lot of faith in this next generation. Yeah. Through, you know, I just kind of oh, feel yeah. that, uh, this, you know, that things go through waves, don't they, you know, and, you know, if you look through oh, the, history. And, the kids are awesome, David. Look, I'm up near Byron Bay in the, a place called The Pocket, and this is heaven on earth. I mean, you should look at my Facebook pages I've put on, 
you know, the coast is next door, like I'm about 10, 5, 15 minutes drive from the coast and about 10 Ks inland. And um, I go to the beach every day and the beach is just, it's just heaven on earth up here. And, <laughs> and, and the, the young people, I was uh, at a dinner the other night with some little babies. There was like a two-year-old, one-and-a-half-year-old and, and then an eight-year-old, brother and sister, eight-year-old and an 18-month-old. And the mother was telling me that she, the little eight-year-old sends her love and light and um, is talking about healing and talking. And she said to her, you know, I, my brother and I um, made a plan to come in together you know, into mm. to be, we chose you as our mum and we made yeah. a plan to come in together. And she said to me, this is the mum telling me this, she said, they don't even <laughs> have the same father. Oh, wow. <laughs> and just the, the young people just blow me away. They're so tapped in, turned on, tuned in, you know. They yeah, just, yeah, totally, yeah. So yeah. beautiful. And yeah. yeah, there's hope for this world. There's yeah, exactly. No, I had the same with my nephew, um, you know, uh, when he was younger, this was actually before, um, my accident and NDE, but I remember him turning around to my sister. Uh, I'd, my brother had lost his wife; she, she died suddenly, and um, he um, he turned around. And he must have only been about two or whatever, and he said to my sister, "He said, oh, uh, Tess came to see me um, last night,' and she said, 'Oh, yes.' I said, 'Yeah,' and she's because he'd been really upset about it, you know, being little, and uh, she said to me, "Oh, don't worry. There's nothing to fear. There's nothing to worry about. It's really lovely here,' and um, uh, and you'll see uh, a tunnel of white light and that's what, exactly what he said and he was two and he said that so obviously I knew nothing about NDEs or anything like that so so I've never forgotten that that he had actually said that to us uh, prior to all this happening he was two so there you go he was two yeah but um, yeah but you know there's you know my nephews are very fascinated by all this by, by what's going on they're not kind of like you, you know they're now in their late scenes and you know, early twenties, and you think that they'd be going. Oh, you know, I remember being that age, thinking, well, you know, you know, I've got my life to get on with. Thanks very much. But they're, no, they're really fascinated by it, all and they're really interested. You know, and they've been to to pretty much all my concerts because they really enjoy it. They're really drawn to it. You know, which is very wow. And it's classical you know, music. So how many yeah, have you had now since two thousand eight? So it's been like eight, oh, it's been ten, eleven years. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've oh, I can't remember now. There's been quite a few, but there's been three that have been actually based on my ND. But there's been other pieces that have been written. I did. I wrote one piece. I was commissioned to write a piece to commemorate the start of the First World War, yeah. and uh, so. But that ended up being spiritual. There you go. I wrote a piece about the First World War, and um, and I started writing it. And then I'd read, I was, I was reading about how carrier pigeons were used in the, uh, they were sent from, from the UK over to, over to Germany uh, with messages um, to, to the guys in the trenches, you know. So they'd get all their little messages off the carrier right. pigeons. Right. And the Germans picked up on this and what was going on. So they, um, they started using these falcons and letting these falcons go. And they, the falcons would intercept the pigeons, basically, you know, and, uh, and uh, stop them from getting the messages through and killing them. And so... I wanted to write about that. I thought that's my story, and what the story became. I mean, it was, it was a fictitious story, but you know, it was based on things I've been reading. And it was about this young soldier who goes to war and with thinking he's going to be brave, fight for his country. It's all going to be great. Then the reality is that it's not. It's horrible and it's hell. And the, and he's dying and he's, as he lays there on the ground as he's been shot. And what he sees is the vision of this falcon flying around his head. So that, that's the final part of the, of the, of the piece. And uh, 
that concert, I, there was actually a representative of, of, of the Queen was sent along to it because uh, because it was a commemoration of the First World War. And he came up, I didn't realise this was going on, but he came up to me afterwards and yeah, this very smart guy, and he's like, he, he said to me, he's like, he's like a head of the, one of the heads of the Navy, he's like this real sort of general chap, but he's a lovely guy, and he said, uh, he said, I sort of felt, I'd read the notes in the, you know, about this, the Falcon, he said, so that Falcon, was he like, was he like the, the sort of, the, uh, sort of the, the angel of death, basically? And I said, wow, that's brilliant, you know, yes, you know, so it ended up sort of, again, drawing somebody from, the other end of the spectrum, he would not think would be, have any spiritual sort of take on it. And he did, you know, and I thought that was really beautiful that he, that he took that on. So this is what your music's doing for people. It's waking people up. It's like getting, that's the getting them to think, getting them to think outside the box. I don't know. It's speaking to their hearts. It's illuminating their minds. Where can people hear your music? And when's right. the next concert? Well, the next concert, well, I'm writing a new piece at the moment. So, uh, and so I'm hoping to get that performed, you know, next, well, next year at the time where the book's going to be released. I'm hoping, you know, that will come together at the same time. I'm just, I don't know yet. That's not, that's not, you know, I spoke to the conductor of the orchestra recently about it. He said, yeah, we want to hear it, you know. And, uh, so we shall see. But that's, that's coming on, on fine. But um, at the moment, I'm actually remastering, um, my recording so the divine light which is the first piece that i talked of that has been remastered in the studio so that is on my soundcloud page so i can give you the link for that and um, people can access it or they can go to, to the website and then they'll see the, the links on there so that's the first piece i'd really like people to hear at this stage because it's like that's the very first piece of classical music that i wrote and it's all based on my near-death experience it tells the story it's in three movements, and uh, the first movement is about the awakening, seeing the being of light, and feeling the, the power of the love. And then the second is, or oh, the energy of that love pulsating through me, and then seeing, uh, you know, the, the the other guides around me and the waterfall of stars. And the final movement is just the, the euphoric feeling of all that powerful, strong energy coming from that divine light, as I call it, which is like the white tunnel of light as I said earlier, which I perceive to be the energy of all creation. Mm. Uh, so yeah, so yeah, so SoundCloud or, or through my website. So and I'll put the all the links and I'll put some of the um, images yeah. on my webpage with the audio only and the YouTube vid. If, if you want to go to the webpage, it'll be currentswain.com slash David Ditchfield. Ah, oh, dying. We've been talking for about an hour and a half. I could talk to you all day. So what would be your message to people from the other side? I don't know. What would you like to sort of end with? Ah, um, I think the message is, is the one that I've learned, which is self-love, you know, mm -hmm. learn to love yourself first, you know, just, uh, it's, I know it's not easy, um, but it's, that's a, that's the starting point. You know, once you start to learn to love yourself, more it, you, suddenly you'll find that you've got a lot more faith in yourself and your abilities in the world and and you're able to give love back to others you know so so yeah. so yes yeah, self-love i so, think that's that's what what they gave me because i hadn't i'd got none of that before you know i was just like really beating myself up <laughs> far yeah. too badly you know, because I, I was struggling I can, in the world you know? you know the thing about self-love is because we are love all we have to do is 
stop criticizing ourselves and we'll love ourselves more. It's like, exactly. it's not, we don't even have to actively like, I love me. I love me. I love me. We just have to stop the criticism, you know, the stop, oh, the, exactly, yeah. stop the, yeah. the self berating. And when you stop criticizing yourself, you stop criticizing others. And, you know, love just flows. It just flows because it's who we are, as you know. And, um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it, I think for me, I think it helps you think outside the box as well. You know, it's like, yeah. as it has done, you know, I would never have dreamt of uh, writing classical music and getting an orchestra to perform it, you know, but I did, you know, and I have done since. And it's like, it's still a daunting prospect sometimes. I walk into a rehearsal and you're faced by a whole orchestra. And somebody like me, who's, who's got no classical training, you know, uh, you know, yeah. I just, it's quite, they're, you know, they're quite a daunting prospect. They're, they're lovely people, but they're very serious about their craft. And, you know, I'll get questions thrown at me. They'll say, well, I've got here, David, I've got on, on bar 45, there's a semi-quaver, whereas it should be a crotchet, surely. And I'm going, oh, gosh, so I have to sort of talk my way around that, you know, kind of thing. And, but I do it and I've done it. And that, that's all down to self-love, which is, now giving me self-belief and, and self-belief and you know and as i say thinking outside the box because you realize that a lot of us just we just go through life just kind of we through the i know it's a cliche but we all get on the treadmill and, and we think those are our things you know you know people walk around I, it, it amazes me you now things like i'll be sat with someone and they'll see a fly and they go oh, I've, got to, I've got to kill that fly i've got to swat it i go why you know it's not doing anything just, just let, it, let it go it's just that's an example it's just kind of that seeing outside the box that's not like saying oh yeah that's what we've always done that's what my mother always did so my father always killed flies so that's what we do it's just like leave them <laughs> let it be yeah, yeah uh absolutely we've got to, it can't be what we've always done there has to be a new way yeah yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I've got a neighbour who's Italian and she's like, but this is what we've always done because this is the Italian way and it's, and it's that sort of thinking that keeps the world stuck. It has, there has to be a new way. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, not killing the insects is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how I look now. I mean, here, yeah, I mean, we've got, we've got, we're in danger of, you know, bees and, and wasps becoming extinct. And so now it's kind of like, I mean, when I was a kid, it was like, if you saw a wasp or a bee, it's like, ah, kill it, it's going to still sting you, yeah. you know. Whereas it's like, don't, don't kill them, you know, we need well, them. Bees are such an endangered species. I was at a cafe up here, you know, in the Mullumbimby, beautiful town called Mullumbimby, and it was that we were sitting outside and there were bees everywhere, like, uh, and everyone was like totally chill with it, you know. No one was yeah. swatting them, no one was, was just like... Mm -hmm. The bees were happy. We were happy. Everyone was happy. <laughs> it exactly. was great. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. They only sting you if you agitate them. And it's as simple as that, you know. Absolutely. Because you're a danger to them. And, and that's it. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, David, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been just beautiful, oh, delightful and enlightening. And um, no more um, labouring work for you, right? So the music and the art sustaining you financially and it's all... Well, the labouring work now is all, all sort of trying to get the message Editing, out. So it's just, yep. it's just uh, you know, working on getting as much of a platform together for the book, purely not for, for self, about me, about getting my face on the TV or anything like that. It's nothing to do with that. There's no ego involved. It's more to do with well, the, the more people that we get to read this book, then, then the more people will get to look at the paintings, listen to the music and understand exactly you know, the message uh, you know that i'm trying to get across well i'll introduce you, you are as well i'll introduce <laughs> you to a few other podcasters that have got bigger platforms than me and we'll get that we'll get your message out there 
Oh, brilliant. That'd be fantastic. That'd yeah. be lovely. All right. Well, thanks very much, Karen, for thanks inviting so me much. along. Yeah. <laughs> Big love. Okay. Big love to you. Okay, thank you. Fascinating, wasn't he? <laughs> Just fascinating. Loved chatting with David. As usual, when I turn off the recording, we, we chat, chat, chat some more after the show. So he had a couple of things to say that he didn't say on the show, and that's that he's going to be involved in the second annual online NDE Summit on the 23rd of June, if you're watching this before the 23rd of June. He'll be speaking about uh, new gifts. There'll be a few speakers speaking about new gifts after their um, NDE, new gifts from the afterlife, with Dr. Raymond Moody and Tricia Barker are putting that on. So that'll be interesting. He didn't give me the link for that, but if you just um, Google second annual online NDE summit, 23rd of June, I'm sure you'll find it. And uh, what else was he saying? Oh, he was saying so many things. Yeah, all the links to David's uh, music and art will be on my webpage, karenswain.com slash David Ditchfield. And also his website for people listening on audio is shineonthestory.com. But if you go to my webpage, you'll see the link there. Fascinating man, really. Just so humble and beautiful and such a lovely man, such a beautiful man. Yeah, I got a real sense of his whole life story talking to him as I do. That's what I do. When I talk to people, I, it all's laid out in front of me. The past, the future, all of it. Yeah, so he's got a busy future in store for him. But um, it's interesting how spirit puts us through <laughs> the struggle before it sort of wakes it up, wakes us up. You know, we go through all this struggle, many of us, not all of us. But um, yeah, we we gain humility and compassion, and don't have to die to do that. Just have to have a few struggles. But obviously, coming back from that that love that he experienced in the afterlife. Yeah. So if remember, if you like the shows, remember to subscribe and put your comments in the comment under the YouTube or uh, send me an email. Lovely to speak to David. Anyway, coming up, I've got some fascinating people lined up speaking to someone who is an alien here on earth and what that feels like, a hybrid. Oh, that's going to be interesting, Vivian. And um, I, was say, I was saying to David that Pam, this beautiful woman called Pam, I've got, I can't remember her last name, is coming on the show in a few weeks to talk about auras and aura colours. And um, she sees them. She sees the aura colour and your predominant aura colour and what that means. It speaks about who you are when you're shining a specific color when you're sort of carrying a predominant color you can be one or two or a clear color or tan colors it's really she's really fascinating and she and she's going to talk about parallel universes and creating our reality and how we can shift timelines oh it's going to be such a great conversation can't wait to talk to Pam she's coming up in a few weeks so there's some fascinating people coming up for the show and um, if you watched the last uh, talk that I did on the uh, YouTube, I don't think I uploaded it to the SoundCloud, I should, really, uh, talking about what's um, happened this year on the show and coming up in the Inner Sanctum, that's our online sessions, online groups, where we uh, learn about our powers of creation, flowing our energy and how we create our world and a new world, and then the guest teachers that come in and get to meet some guest teachers. I should actually invite David maybe next year and the guest teacher well we could talk more about his art who knows in another year what will have happened in david's life be fascinating to see 
it all unfold. It's been just one synchronicity after the other to get his music out of him and that artwork out to the world. It's beautiful. It's great that he's on mainstream media and you know radio in the UK. So thanks again for watching and listening to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. It's been a joy as always to present this to you. And remember if you're one of those New World Teachers, awakening, emerging New World Teacher or just wanting to figure out who you are and why you're here and what you've got to bring to this world and this humanity and who you are as a part of the shift in our world. That's what my mob talk about all the time. <laughs> So come and have a session or a few with me and we'll sort you out. Big love. Thanks for watching. Bye for now.